These are the tribulations of Paulette. Greeting cards have all been sent. The Christmas rushes through. But I still have one wish to make. A special one for you. It's 10 a.m. on December 23rd. It's 60 degrees in Boston, and I've still got perfectly good pumpkins on the porch. Dave is taking the kids to play soccer. Being alone in my house is a precious gift that deserves celebration. I make myself a tiny rum and eggnog and then head into the living room to finish decorating. Is this really necessary, I ask myself every year. Weeks of effort spent decorating, cooking, wrapping, entertaining. It's like the circus has come to town. Then it leaves just as fast as it came, and I'm the sad old clown left behind with the trash. I encourage the kids to develop non-Christian school friends, hoping that they'll clue them in on the Christmas myth, and someday I'll be off the hook. As I unwrap the manger and the figures of the Holy Family, I wonder why someone hasn't updated the outfits on these guys in several thousand years. Donna Coran's board is seen on the Virgin Mary. Joseph is clearly a Banana Republic guy, and the three kings are Versace all the way. I ask you, would the baby Jesus be any less holy in a petite bateau onesie? Talk about a branding opportunity. This reminds me that only weeks ago at my class reunion, I put a Stetson on a Jesus statue that folded down from the peak of the Christian party rental tent. No question about it. Nothing good came from that, and I felt Catholic guilt about it ever since. In the living room, amid all this clutter, I make my ritualistic annual promise not to let it all get to me. By reminding myself of the tragic Christmas of 1976, which marked the beginning of the end of my parents' marriage. There was a huge blizzard on the Saturday after Thanksgiving that year. My mom, Nancy, who served Thanksgiving dinner four days after she had given birth to my little sister, had gone upstairs to take a much-needed nap, leaving my dad with the rest of us. We made sandwiches with leftover turkey. Because mom was out of sight, dad swilled beer, and we drank a liter of Coke. After lunch... We convinced my dad it was time to decorate the house for Christmas. At a loss for how to entertain four children on a snowy day, he was all for it. Back then, the holidays had clearly defined borders. Didn't matter. Mom's meticulously packed boxes were brought up from our basement and we descended on them. Vintage ornaments were ripped from last year's January newspaper and then dropped and unfortunately broken by my well-intentioned little brothers. Dad helped us set up the fake tree. Then, in classic dad form, he disappeared to watch a Giants game. We found a box with strands of white lights, and I suited up in snow gear to decorate the shrubs in the front of the house. My mom came down the stairs with bedspread marks on her face, just in time to see me running an indoor extension cord through the open front door to fire up the outside lights. She screamed, don't plug that in! Then she collapsed on the stairs. You were almost electrocuted, she shouted. What is going on here? Where's your father? When dad, who had heard the scream, ran into the room, all holy hell broke loose. My brothers cowered by the stairs, chanting, fight, fight. 
My mother cried as she took in the disaster that was the living room. Aunt Mary's Christmas bell, she sobbed as she picked up half a broken ornament off the floor. My father watched, helpless and slightly drunk. This is your fault, Mom said to Dad. How could you do this to me? All I wanted was an hour to myself. It's way too soon to set up all this Christmas stuff. Dad was quiet. Then he picked up the half-decorated tree by its base and carried it out of the room, silver icicles dangling. We followed him down the hall to the basement door, where he lifted the tree over his head and javelined it down the stairs. You're right, Nancy, he said, turning to my mom. It's way too soon for fucking Christmas. My friend Biscuit, who loves Christmas more than anything, cried when I told her that story. But it's funny, I said. Ducks, that's tragic, she said. That's why you hate Christmas. Speaking of Biscuit, Dave and I are dragging her and Ed to a holiday wine tasting later at the perfectly appointed suburban house of a former college friend. She is highly suspicious of any houses outside the 02138 zip code. It's creepy out there in the suburbs, she says. This is Caroline's turn to reciprocate, I tell Biscuit. She's been to our party three years in a row. Just come with us. You never know what might happen, I say. We let ourselves in to the tightly strung house of Caroline Murphy Myers at 7 p.m. after no one answers the bell. There is fake greenery everywhere. Biscuit sniffs a branch tied to the banister. Suburbs, she says. Biscuit and I are in long skirts. Dave and Ed are in coat and tie because, after all, it is Saturday night. With the exception of a giant tree, the living room is empty. But we hear voices coming from the back of the house, so we follow the din. Caroline greets us at the entrance to the family room. So glad you could make it, she says. And these are your friends. How do you do? Merry Christmas. Tell you what, let's keep this quiet because so many other people asked to bring friends and I had to say no. We just couldn't accommodate everyone and their friends. Well, get some wine and enjoy. I've got to run into the kitchen for a second. Biscuit is embarrassed. Ducks, we really shouldn't be here. Don't be silly, I say. You're with us. Caroline told me it was okay when I responded. We look around. The crowd resembles a fire drill at NPR. Lots of bad Christmas sweaters, especially on the men, and not a jacket in sight. Dave, who wanted to wear a turtleneck, will be pissed. The guys come back from the bar. I look into their glasses. You drank a glass already? That was fast. No, Ed says. They won't pour a whole glass. They say it's a wine tasting only. They don't care how many times you go up there, but you'll never get a full glass. Biscuit looks like she's going to cry. Caroline materializes again. Did you get to taste some wine? Good. Now listen, I'm desperate to get people into the living room where the tree is. I spent seven hours on that goddamn thing and it needs an audience. Please, get some more wine and go into the living room. We each get a thimbleful of wine and discuss the excursion to the living room. Ed and Dave agree that it can't be any more boring than where we are now. I down my wine and turn to Biscuit. Listen, I say. I worked my rear end off all day, and I deserve a full glass of wine. Spot me. While the much taller Biscuit runs interference, I make my way to the bar, 
genuflect, and snatch a newly opened bottle of Chateau Montalena Cabernet Sauvignon. Sure, plenty of guests saw what I did, but in my experience, if you act like you know what you're doing, no one will ever question you. Dave and Ed, holding court alone in the living room, are absolutely thrilled. I pour everyone a good-sized glass, and we toast. To Christmas. To Christmas. Cheers. I notice a large folk art crash on the mantel, along with a Barbie doll, undoubtedly left by one of Caroline's kids. In a mischievous impulse... I bring the bikini-clad Barbie over to Dave, along with the Virgin Mary from the crash, and I tell him to switch their outfits. No way, he says. That's sacrilegious. The atheist has spoken, I say, offering the job to Ed. Ed puts his wine glass down on the butler's table and begins to take off the Virgin Mary's felt robe. As he does, Dave says, oh, what the hell? He tries to grab the Barbie from me, and as I pull away, Dave's knee hits Ed's wine glass, and it flies in slow-mo, very high in the air, a comet-tailed trail of red wine in its wake. It lands in an explosion of burgundy on Caroline's off-white Persian rug. For a minute, we're all silent. Then Biscuit says, Oh my God. I spring into action. None of us has any white wine to throw on the stain, so I run into the kitchen for seltzer. Red wine, red wine, living room, quick, help, water, seltzer, I say with a wild look in my eye. The Thorazine-laced catering staff manages to find a couple of quarts of seltzer and a roll of bounty paper towels, which I race with back to the living room. Ed opens the bottles and they spray like geysers everywhere. He douses the stain, which is about the size and shape of Florida. Biscuit and I try to soak it up with paper towels. As luck would have it, at exactly that moment, our cheery hostess strides into the room. Don't you like the tree? I'm so glad you came in here. Then she notices the Virgin Mary half clad on the butler's table. What's this, she asks, oblivious to the four of us blotting out a murder scene on her rug. Who took off Mary's robe? None of us is able to speak. In all fairness, Caroline shouldn't have pushed the living room on us. I shouldn't have insisted on bringing Biscuit and Ed to the party. I also shouldn't have stolen that Cabernet. And the Virgin Mary's outfit needs a transitional step between Eileen Fisher and Britney Spears. Biscuit was right. We had every reason to be nervous about coming to the suburbs. But to me, Christmas wouldn't be the same without a little holy hell. And somehow, that makes me feel right at home. Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. For no matter how far away you roam. When you long for the sunshine. A friendly gaze for the holidays you can't beat home. Next week, the pleasure and the pain. Till then, happy new year. Mm-hmm.